Welcome, Cracking Back listeners. Today, we're pulling back the curtain on the world of elite sports training with none other than David Boyer. From the icy battlefields of the NHL with teams like Tampa Bay Lightning and Florida Panthers to the roaring courts of the NBA's Detroit Pistons, Dave has been the silent force molding athletes, optimizing their performance, and safeguarding their futures. Ever wondered about the intricacies of rehabilitating a top-tier basketball player compared to a hockey pro? Or the secret sauce to preventing injuries by understanding the science of movement? Dave's extensive journey through the heart of the sports industry, including his groundbreaking work at Exercise Innovation, offers us a unique lens into these realms and more. Beyond the physical, we delve into the psyche of athletes. With a master's in sports psychology, Dave will share insights that push boundaries, how the mind can make or break a game, and how trainers, coaches, and even parents can harness this knowledge. So, if you're passionate about the future of youth sports, curious about the crossroads of physical training and psychological prowess, or just hungry for stories from the vaults of the NBA, NHL, and beyond, you are in for a treat. So let's get cracking. Good morning, David. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing really, really good. You sure? Appreciate you asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm... Uh... I'm energized, excited, Woo! and ready to go. Dave. Good. At least one of us <laughs> is. So um <laughs> make that two. <laughs> yeah, you, you all right. Well, you gotta remember, you gotta remember I'm three hours ahead of you. So yes. the day's half done. That's fair. That's fair. I'm still waking up. It's a, it's a new. <laughs> you know, I'm a California boy. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what, Dave? You have a all I can say. You have extensive background in athletic training, strength conditioning, psychology, which I can't wait to get into all that fun stuff. Um, this is why we brought you on the show, um, and especially with and we talked about this off air. We have. In high school and schools getting back, we have fall, winter sports starting up. And our youth is came from a pandemic shutdown to doors wide open and let's balls to the wall and let's go for it. And there's be mistakes being made. There's mistakes being made before and now they seem to be even more amplified. So can you start off and share with our listeners what you consider to be our greatest strengths in this field of helping these kids? Well, I think you know, especially the adolescent group is the greatest strength is to get them to understand what type of person they are in the sense of you can't go all out right on day one. And, you know, most of these kids that I find, they want to be superstars tomorrow, but they haven't, they haven't put the process in place to understand that there's steps to becoming, you know, towards greatness or becoming good and they just get right in there in the off-season conditioning. They might have been lax of days ago because of other situations going on or not really focused on where their goal was and what they had to do during the off-season. So I think it's very important as a strength coach to really, to really give these kids, these adolescents, knowledge and understanding of building a foundation through their physical aspect and then, then branching that out to their mental I mean, some of these kids, I, I have a football player right now, and he, he had a little hip flexor strain, and 
you know, in football, there's plays. He was in 50 plays. He was in 60, whatever they count him as. It's like, wait a minute, he hasn't played or practiced in a week. And now on, you know, day two back, you're giving him, you know, like he's like he's already 100 percent. Well, what happens is he, he falls by the wayside again because now it's his hamstring or, you know, those certain situations, your body, if you listen to it as an athlete, it will tell you what you need to do to, to stay on a good foundation and a level surface to kind of build those pillars of where you want to be. And we're going to elaborate this at the show, but, you know, a lot of these, these kids, especially in the high school, um, the junior high, maybe even your junior colleges you know the pressure to get to that next level is great the coaches want to win um your strength coaches are pressure and this and this little kid is like this has a small voice because he's got parents he's got coaches hammering on and you've worked with the organizations at different levels different leagues from nhl to nba they'll pay me a little nfl what are some of the key differences and similarities you've observed when it comes to athlete rehabilitation and conditioning in these leagues and athletes especially at the next level that we wish our youth would start now you know instead of going back and going, God, I wish you had done this. What can they start now? And how can this athlete, um, for a better term, prepare them to, to fight to these big voices of parents and coaches and all that? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think obviously we look at all these professional athletes and I mean, you guys have been involved with them just as much as I have. And it's, that's all those guys do. And we're asking these, these adolescents or these younger athletes who still have to go to school, who still have to do chores, who still have to do homework, who are getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning to catch a bus to get to school. And then we're, we're, you know, we're trying to hurry them around to get to practice and get to games. And I think sometimes we as logistics people, being parents, forget that, you know, this is a this is a young adolescent developing body, and they're not pro athletes, but we treat them like pro, pro athletes, or we want them to be pro athletes. So we got to get them comfortable with it. Well, the body's not built as it's going through its maturation to understand what's going on outside of itself. We're pro athletes. I mean, realistically, they're they're they get to the treatment if they're injured at nine o'clock in the morning, yeah. eight o'clock in the morning. And that's all they do for three hours. Then they get to the strength coach and they do some workouts and they get back to treatment, but they're not going to school. They got somebody feeding them. You know, they got somebody taking care of all their chores. I mean, we have to realize that. And this is what I'm seeing now that I'm out of pros and into the the, the, the adolescent athletes more is, is, is like we have to slow some of these kids down um, because as a as a youth, the only thing you want to do is do good. You know, we want our parents to, you know, did I do okay, mom? Did I do okay, dad? Yeah, you did good. But but as we hurry them through that process, we, again, we don't build the foundation of what they're psychologically, physically, what they have to build the other adjuncts or the other pillars on top of that. So I think, I think we have to realize that these kids are not, you know, pro athletes. They don't get treatment. I mean, they come into treatment if they're injured for, if they're going to a physical therapist, one hour, three times a week, but then they're asked to do stuff at home on top of school, homework, eat, go to the games and watch or sit on the bench, go to practice. I mean, I see some of these kids are, like I said, they're up at 530 and they're not hitting the, 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 the bed until 12, 130 in the morning. 
And that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot. lot on a, a yeah. body that wants to grow. You know. Tough. Do you see? Do you so also the difference see- is obviously the physical. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. The difference is, is that the athlete in the pro level, that's their job. Right. And they right. know, and they have everybody around there to help them. At the adolescent level, they sometimes have too many people helping them, you know? And so some, that's why I see the difference. Totally. And sometimes I don't, I, I don't want to blame coaches because coaches have a lot on their plate and, and strength coaches have a lot on their plate. And, you know, and sometimes the parents, we just see our, and, and our, our kids as we were trying to give them to that, that scholarship or whatever. But you also see, like, let's just take football because it's a false sport right now. You'll get a star freshman who's maybe a star receiver, a quarterback, or, or he's big ass dude and he's on the line, but he's still a freshman at 14 years old and he gets moved up to varsity and he's playing against some kids that were held back. And we had, you know, you'll see 19 year old high school varsity players. And so do you ever, you know, you see that dynamic in maturation and age, a 14 year old going against a 19 year old and the strength coaches are like, oh, you're varsity, you're going to do our varsity workouts. And, and some of their workouts are stuff that they got from the local colleges or, or, you know, LSU or, or SC or Florida state or something like that. And they're working these kids out. Well, the 19 year old can handle it, but the 14 year old can't. But the 14-year-old doesn't want to go to the coach goes, I can't do this because he'll get laughed at or he'll get yelled at. And and the dads or the moms are like, suck it up, son. And so how do you handle that that dynamic? Well, you, there's always stories associated with that. And I'm going to give you one. And this is, I mean, through my experience, this is what I tell parents. This is what I tell the athletes. There's an eighth grader, great football player here in Michigan. This was a few years ago. But the high school brought him up because obviously he's going in the ninth grade. So they want him in spring training and he's working out. And so this is a, a young athlete coming out of eighth grade, trying to keep up with those high school kids, 10th, 11th, 12th graders. And they're asking him to do bent over rows and the kid blows his back out. So here's an eighth grader who now needs a disc surgery. He misses the whole ninth grade. And comes back and he does well, but he's missed a whole year of development just because, one, he's trying to keep up and feels honored to be brought in right away. But two, I'm sure he's got a lot of outside or external things that are going and pushing him to kind of keep up with that. So you look at the mental and the physical aspect of it. And in my mind, it's like the strength coach there should have said, whoa, whoa, slow down, youngster, you know. You have to make sure that we develop you and process you because we need you to get to where you want to go, which is you're good enough to come up to high school. Let's You're obviously going to hopefully be good enough to go to college and get a scholarship. But we need you to understand your process as far as development through that. So we have you in the senior year. You know, I mean, the same thing. I got a good uh, a kid right now who's had a ha- the hamstring strain and he's overplaying himself and his dad's a coach. And his dad's on the defense and this kid's on the offense. So his dad doesn't see what's going on, but he's still counting the reps. And I talked to him last week. I said, you're going to have to slow him down. He's, he's doing too much. Well, he ends up aggravating his hip flexor and he ends up tearing his ACL last year, which he's coming off of. But he's already in, he's in 11th grade. And he's already got four wow. like big schools looking wow. at him. Well, what are they going to, I always say, you know what, if you bench pressing 300 pounds and your name's on the wall in the weight room, but you're not on the field, 
Who's, who's watching you? Who's seeing what you can do to kind of scout you out? Pay attention to what your body's telling yeah. you. And we have to teach these kids, these young kids, to be a little bit more assertive for themselves in the sense of, wait, maybe I should start a little bit lower and work my way up. So they have, but you, have, you only give them that through knowledge and, you know, some of the understanding that a good strength coach can give them. You know? Yeah, it's uh, it's something that we see all the time, but I think you, you want to highlight the, the, the mere fact that we understand that a young kid could heal fast after a surgery or a big injury, but knowing what you now know in sports psychology, they're going to carry that damn injury for the rest of their life, knowing that it happened. And they're going to always maybe be yeah. uh, sensitive to it or concerned. But now you got a kid who's, who's thinking, man, I, I blew a disc out when I was back in. I, I wonder if it's going to happen again. You know, they got to overcome that. Yes, part. yes. Well, and that's the whole thing. I mean, you, now you've just set them back, not only physically, but mentally now. Yeah. So as a strength coach, as an athletic trainer or physical therapy, or I mean, even the doctor should have some foundation of like, okay, let's get you. I know we're all specializing, either they're specializing in sport or specializing in our profession, but let's get you to somebody that can help you through the processes or the stages of, like you say, Doc Spencer, an injury. You, you don't have to carry it with you if you go through the steps the right way <laughs> mentally, which will automatically feed into your physical aspect because there's too much separation between mental mm. and physical. And I, I don't, you know, like as a strength coach, you just want to make them stronger. You, and there's selfishness in it too, because I want to look good. Look what I did. You know, you want to take some of his credit, even though he's a superstar. But the fact is, is, you're going to look better as a strength coach if you understand the processes mentally and physically to connect both of those things together. You know, we, we know the stages of, you know, injury aspect, angle, denial, you know, all of that, or anger, denial, you know, reintegration as a, as a mental aspect. But what are you doing physically? Like, I, I just had a girl with an ACL. She comes into me yesterday and she's got a little limp to her. And I mean, I'm intuitive enough where I can see what's going on, but I don't go, Hey, what's going on. I let her go through her little processes and it's like, okay, so what's ha- You know, 10, 15 minutes into it. I said, well, how are you feeling? Well, this is a problem. This is a problem. It's like, Oh, well, it should be a problem. You were running at two months out of an ACL injury, not sprinting, but just jogging with, with a limited extension. Wow. It's like, stop, stop. Let's get your extension. And she only comes to me for upper body, but I just yeah. took the initiative yesterday. It's like, no, we're going to, I'm going to treat you both mentally, injury wise and, and upper body. So I just started doing stuff with her because she's got, you know, she's got a few therapists here and there. She's also working out with someone else, but she has to go to her soccer practice. It's like, slow down. Like you got too much going on, but you got to connect. I think, especially knowing the psychology aspect of it. Now you have to connect the mental and the physical. You have to make it one unit. Dave, you touched off on a point that I was just talking about yet the other day. You know, when these kids get injured, or actually, no, not just kids, but anybody gets injured, they don't realize there's those stages of grief that you apply to, you know, yes. when someone, you know, when there's a death in the family or when there's a, you know, I've seen players go through their, you know, pro guys go through their 
five stages, you know, uh, anger, whatever, denial, anger, acceptance, and then finally acceptance and all that. Reintegration. Are there stages mentally that, okay, you, you, you have acceptance, but is there, would you apply certain stages uh, that are different to someone who's, um, you know, how, how would you get them through those stages? Well, I always go back to build the foundation. Like a, if you tear your ACL, you're obviously mm. angry, Yeah, you know, because now you can't protect yourself. You can't be involved with the team. But you have to, uh, you, the thing is for me is you have to let these athletes understand what each stage is through the mental aspect of it and then let them put themselves mm. in there. Mm. But they, all of them want to just play, you know, hey, I, t- I tore my ACL, I'll be mm. back in nine months. And I'm honest. It's like, that's great if you're coming back in nine months, but it all depends on how you do in the first six months. So let's find out where you are mentally. It's like, well, I'm, I'm mad. I'm upset. I mean, I can't contribute. This is something that I have a passion for. Mm-hmm. So I'm angry. I'm angry that that mm-hmm. girl did that to me. I'm angry that this happened to me. Okay, so there's where you slice yourself in. You, you put yourself mm-hmm. in that anger mm-hmm. stage. and then, But th- then you have to give them or the denial, let's say it's denial, so mm-hmm. it's really early on. You have to give them the other steps. You have to give them the other names that they have to go through. Nobody's going from denial to, okay, I'm good, let's go, and mm-hmm. reintegration. You're going to go from denial. You're going to go from, you know, anger. You're going to go to anxiety, fear of mm-hmm. getting hurt again. To, and I think that's one thing that, you know, that a lot of people miss is like they come and see the therapist for three months, mm-hmm. four months, whatever it is. They come and see just a strength coach. And a lot of strength coaches don't understand the, mm-hmm. the mechanics of the injury. They just know that you tore your ACL. And then they got to go and see their skills coach. And then they got to go back to their coach. Well, why aren't all those people connected as one? <laughs> so what I do is I take these these kids. Like I don't do a lot of the rehab anymore because now I'm out in the, the performance mm-hmm. aspect of it. But I still sneak my rehab in because I see what some of these kids are doing. I say, okay, well. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, let's try this. Let's do this because you have to give them success, whether it's PT, whether it's performance, whether it's skills training, you have to allow them to have success. So if that means you have to pull back a little bit on what they're doing. Then you should, because now they feel better. And obviously we know once you feel better, you know, and you're happy with wh- where you're going, that door can get kicked wide open. Then you can accelerate the rehab aspect of it or the process of going through it to get back into performance. Again, this girl that I had, you could tell that she was just like miserable because she had some anterior mm-hmm. knee pain. First thing I did is like, okay, let's go. I test her ACL. I test her other one. It's like, your ACL is good. This is what I think's going on. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me tape this here. How you feel? A, a lot better. I feel a lot better. And she walks out like, mm-hmm. ah, you know, and now she has success and she understands mm-hmm. a little bit more. I mean, and then she can start making, she can evolve into the process a little bit easier now because now she's not hitting herself up against mm-hmm. a brick wall, you know? So Dave, you're, you're, you know, I don't want to, I, I want the audience to recognize a very important your feature about you or characteristic, you're a rare breed. You're a certified athletic trainer. You got your strength and conditioning certification. You got now your master's in sports psychology. So you not only can heal injuries, 
you could strengthen. And then the most integral part is get the mind right. So, you know, that's, that is, that's a rare breed of healthcare provider. And so I commend you on that because you're a consummate learner. So with that said, I want to jump into the mechanics of movement in sports and just, you know, to reduce this, this concept of, of, you know, potential injury. Like, how would you approach somebody? And if you can give a specific example that comes to mind. Well, I, 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 are you injured or are you just coming in for, for, for performance mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. of things? You know, I mean, so if mm-hmm. it's an injury, one, the mental aspect, you got to help them through it like we just talked about. But the mechanics of the movement, it's not just a hinge <laughs> on a door. You know, the door opens and closes. So all we ever see is the, the end result of, you know, you know what's going on. And, and that's the one thing that I think a lot of people, even therapists, they just want to get extension, but they don't know that the tibia goes through a rotation to get the lock hole mechanism. They don't know that, you know, if, if you if you walk with a cast, your yeah, your foot's flared out, okay? Because I've been in a cast for six weeks or whatever that is, or a mobilizer. It's like, yeah, your foot's flared out because lower injuries always go out, upper injuries always come in, right? So the fact is, is you have to start strengthening some medial hamstring by internally rotate the tibia. And to internally rotate the tibia, you have to have a rotation and a glide. You know, it's not just pushing like shoulder flexion to get flexion. You have to have an inferior glide of the head of the humerus with a posterior rotation to get the end result of that movement towards the ceiling or upward. And I think a lot of people miss out on it. They do their mobilization and stuff, but... But I just had a hockey player. He had shoulder surgery and he's doing presses. And I'm not a big press guy, um, but overhead. But you can see his shoulders kind of like he's locked while this one's going up. This one's staying down. I said, hey. And I was watching him from the back. He's working out with one of our other coaches. I said, hey, what are you doing? He's like, what are you talking about? So I just went over to him. I put his elbow on my shoulder here and just did an inferior glide of his head of of his humerus with maybe a little bit of a rotational aspect of it. I said, now do it. And he, he went up fine. But a lot of the strength coaches, they don't see the intricate of the movement. They just see that, hey, something's wrong with your shoulder. You know, same kid has a body. He's on his other side. He's got a slap tear. It's a small one, but he didn't have surgery on it. So we do a certain motion, movement and he ends up getting bicep tendon irritation. So you just go lay him on his side because now he's now he's he goes like you said, Doc. He goes back to like, oh, am I ever going to be good enough? You know, and this is a 20 year old kid who just had surgery on his right side. Now he's got some stuff going on his left side. But it's like, go lay on the table. Let me do a subscap release. Let me get you into a posterior glide of that head of the humerus to get the pressure off of that bicep tendon. And, you know, let's do a little bit of soft tissue on your rhomboids. Sit his shoulder blade back. Get the humerus to sit back. Takes pressure off the bicep tendon. And then he gets up. He's like, wow, that's like really, really good. Now, is it going to stay there? You hope, but he's still going to have to do some the right strengthening to stabilize the joint. I think people miss out. It's like stability doesn't only come from capsular integrity. It comes from the mechanical movement of the muscles to get the joint or the head of the humerus, let's say, the joint in the right position to go through that observation of that movement or motion that we're looking for. Do you find, I love the example. Do you find yourself uh, explaining to the, the athlete or the parent? Yes. His left knee uh, has been injured and it's rehabbing and he's changed his gait. Do you 
help them understand that they've been putting so much pressure on the other side that they're risking injury because there's been overuse and altered gait. Do you look at that? Yes, yes, yes. I just had this, the same girl with the ACL. You know, we're doing on this board, I have a decline. Just It's kind of a, a little pulsating to stimulate the quad for eccentric <laughs> control. And then I do it on their other side, and her leg's like shaking like crazy. It's like, the good, yeah, that's yeah. her good side. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, what's your body? And I tell her, it's like, she's got to be, a, she's got to be in mm-hmm. tune with her body. I mean, she's going to see me for a certain amount of her life, and then she's going to go on her own. So I always try and teach them and the parent. It's like, okay, so what are you neglecting here? What's your body trying to tell you? Uh, I don't know. It's like, well, whatever you do on the involved side, it, your other side needs a little <laughs> love. You know, you can't just totally ignore it because this is what's going to happen. It's going to get... A, you know, I kind of use these little analogies. It's kind of get, going to get a little upset with you and start shutting itself off either. Or also, even though you look like you're strong, but appearances and everything. It's like these young players, you know, these coaches, and they, they tell these, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, oh, you got to get bigger. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are smart enough. How long does it take to get big? A long time. It's not yeah. going to happen overnight. So they're in the weight room doing all this, you know, big lifting stuff. Well, they're not watching their mechanics. They're not progressing the way, right way. So injury is going to happen because they have muscle imbalances. And this is kind of like you said, the same thing that I talk to these parents about when they're in there. I talk to the athlete about. It's like this is what you, you need to understand your body and you need to comprehend of what kind of things you're trying to work on. So there's three aspects. There's a mental. There's a physical. Those are the two I do. The only thing I'm missing is the skills, you know. I mean, but what I do is I tell them, okay, mental and physically, you're good. Now you got to go to your skills guy, but it doesn't mean you just go there and kick the ball around or shoot the puck. Remember everything that we talked about, get down in your base, you know, soccer, stagger step, change direction. Remember the eccentric load. So I kind of like give them this dump truck full of stuff and they got to start utilizing it when they get back to their skills. And that's the same thing I tell the parents. I try to talk to the parents. It's like, these athletes are not just athletes. They're people. You want them to be good. And, you know, some parents say, well, that's what I pay you. It's like, that's good. That's why I'm telling them this, but I'm also telling you this, you know. It's because we have to work as a unit. That social aspect of everything is the most important thing for an adolescent athlete. And I'm not talking, you know, Sally going out with Gloria <laughs> to the movies. I'm, I'm talking parents as logistics you know, and parents are hard, they're hard nosed coaches when they should just get their kid to the game. And, you know, to a certain extent, 13, they should like, OK, I'm done. You got a coach. I'll take care of everything else. I'll make sure you're there. I'll pay for it. I'll feed you because some of these coaches come back and say, you did that wrong. Or maybe you should do this. And the kid doesn't. You, I always tell these parents, they're never going to let you use or lose that title, that three word title, D.A.D., M-O-M. <laughs> I don't care how, you know, they're not going to let you lose it. And they're, they're going to fight it for you to hold on to that forever. Dave, I want to I go back to something that's become more obvious, and that is uh, proprioceptive retraining or balance and all that. And you've been doing this for a long time. Do you notice? Uh, I saw a, pa- a paper published uh, uh, about two years ago where they actually did MRI scans of those 
who had ACL tears that didn't need repair and ACL tears that did get repair. And they found that their gait was so altered during for such a long time, you know, limping basically, that it changed the mapping in the brain. And so in order to be successful in rehab, do you, do you notice, you know, you know, back in the day compared to now, a difference in, you know, remapping the brain or, you know, proprioceptive training? Well, there's, there's always been a big push for proprioception mm-hmm. training, you know, and there, there, mm-hmm. there still is. It's all about balance. It's all about turning on those receptors in the capsule to create that integrity. But again, unless you mechanically understand what you're trying to achieve, I still see either rehab or even these team training that some of their, even, you know, training for the kids. These kids doing an RDL with their hip kind of flares up. So they're sitting on the acetabulum of their hip that's on the ground. It's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm trying to get stronger in my RDL with proprioception or balance. Well, your balance doesn't come from being your pelvis being out of position. You know, your balance, it's like those, those boards. And I, I'm a big disbeliever in those boards where that tube moves mm-hmm. underneath you. Mm-hmm. You know, where you like the skateboard mm-hmm. thing with the tube under it. I think they're voodoo boards or something because this kid's always doing this. But I always try and tell these kids proprioception and balance comes from the core being stable. The core is the bowl of soup that needs to be locked in. Yeah. The hip joint comes into that bowl of soup. And that's the thing that can move. This bowl of soup can't move. You know, so I always say stiff spine on your level bowl of soup. Okay, and then you go through your performance aspect of movements, whether it's a lunge, whether it's a squat, you know, but you have to have the mobility aspect. So the proprioception's always been, been there. I mean, it's I was training athletic position back in the early, you know, the late 90s, you know. Well, actually, I got out of 90s, so the mid 90s when I got into the clinics for rehab, I still don't see people giving these kids the understanding of their base of support through an athletic position. So what I designed is a balance board. The center stays local or, or locked, and now they can go through this motion of controlling the stiff spine over top of your bowl of soup and let your hip, knee, and ankle joint. Now, what you can find is that's proprioception. That's balance in a controlled environment. Because how are you going to control an? How are you going to control your sports environment if you're having trouble controlling a controlled environment? So you want to get as strong as you can in a controlled environment. So when you get out of position, your body's like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Let's go back. But you also can look through that positioning where their ankles tight, how their knee mobilizes in or rotates in. You know, it's the the core activation is the major Mm -hmm. focus for everything outside of your body. The only thing I think of outside of your body is external resistance, right? controlling momentum, okay, and just utilizing that in a stable position. I see it on Instagram and all this all this <laughs> social media. Even pro athletes, when they go over the hurdles, they're, they're taking their bowl of soup and getting mm-hmm. out of position. Like I would slow that kid down or that person down and say, listen, you got to stay locked in so the hip can get that power movement and it's not coming from an unstable or an unbalanced mm-hmm. position. So – Proprioception balance is the key foundation for what I do. You know, I do 
I do balance and then I go into core. And even with your core, like glute bridges, how much, and you guys probably see this too. People are doing glute bridges and they're getting extension in their spine, <laughs> you know, just because they want to go higher to get their, their glute yeah. to activate more. No, it doesn't matter how high you go because you're not getting hip extension through the glute. You have to control your core, pelvis neutral. And what will happen is your glute will activate the right way, like for a hockey player, and you'll actually get your hip flexor to release. So now you get mobility and your flexibility in your hip, hip flexor and stability in the joint through control of your core. I don't care if you come this far off the ground. If you're stable, you're still there. I mean, how much range of motion and extension does mm-hmm. the hip go? What, mm-hmm. five, 10 degrees maybe mm-hmm. at the max? All the other comes from accessory motion. Mm-hmm. Now, if I limit my hip extension because my hip flexor is tight in hockey, how long do you think it's going to take before you got to sit the games because you got a tight hip flexor mm-hmm. or short hip flexor? I mean, think about your anterior tilt of your pelvis. I mean, it's just, I don't think we work from the inside out, mm-hmm. you know? I think we always look from the outside and say, okay, that's not right. Well, how do you fix it? That's where I think you have to go, especially on these young kids. Like they're growing. They're all, we already know they're going to be tight through their skeletal, you know, growing and, and the long bones get, but that's okay. Still work your core, still work your balance, control from your belly button, you know? You know, like I said, stiff spine, bowl of soup, long and strong, you know, think stride, long and strong, yeah. you know? So I, I throw those things out because now kids are either going like, what's this guy talking about? Like, is he stupid? But it doesn't matter because they remember it, right? Right. And eventually the next day, a week later, five days, 10 days, whatever it is, like, oh, now I, I get I it. I, I, that's how I do it. And that's where I, I think it has to start. Yeah, I got a question, Dave. You talked about even going back, you talked about ACLs, which are pretty pretty uh, prevalent in both football, soccer, and some of our sports. And and you mentioned nine months, and but let's check the six-month mark. Yet most PTs are stopping people after insurance ends, which is at that six- to eight-week mark. And and then they're just doing the same yes. thing, and they focus right on the knee joint. They're just like trying to get the swelling out, trying to get flexion extension. That's all they care about. What do you think is the biggest mistake made and – Take me through the three-month to the six-month mark of where you see the mistakes made and what needs to be done to these athletes from that three-month mark to the six-month mark where they don't lose. The other thing we see is they start losing interest because they've been going to PT for now three months and all they do is the same thing over and over and over and they're like, I can do stuff at home. So what do you see needs to happen from that three-month mark to the six-month mark? Well, this is what I see needs to happen is that zero to three months you're in therapy get your extension control your swelling start activating your lateral hip stabilizers uh you know get your range of motion i'm going to go back to a girl i had she's at three months and two days and the therapist has her on leg curl (laughs) machine now this is a top she's 14 this is a top Call it top rated. I mean, I, I don't know where she fits in the whole scheme of soccer, but it's like, what are you doing on a leg curl machine? Mm. Well, that's what my therapist, they say I have to get my hamstring stronger. Of course you do. That's the one thing that attaches to control the, the transfer of the tibia forward. Yes, you have to get it stronger. You're not going to get it functionally stronger on a <laughs> hamstring machine. 
All right. So I think therapy, you know, Doc, to say what you're trying to, you know, question and answer your question is therapy is controlling any external things, edema, contusion, checking infection, getting your range of motion, doing open chain exercises. And then maybe at three months, you got to progress to a, a, a closed chain weight bearing you know, because at two months, that's the weakest the ACL is going to be because that's, you know, that's where that maturation is trying to come together and scar that thing down. And then you get them out of there, you know, because insurances, they should be out of there in three months. This girl shouldn't be doing hamstring curls. Okay. Then you get them into the balance, the proprioception that I just talked about and get them used to moving in a controlled manner to start increasing their speed. Now, their speed is not linear speed. Their speed's not horizontal speed, like change of direction, obviously, but you have to get them into quicker movement patterns. So you just do foot speed, like the ladders. But even on the foot speed, this is what I see a lot of too. It's like, you're not creating the bowl of soup that I'm looking for. You're not creating that stiff spine to sit into your hips. So what I do is I put a hockey stick in their elbows, cross them over, keep their elbows up, sit in their base, and now just move your feet. You know, while you're going through the lap, you're not doing it for speed. You're doing it for a quicker movement through control of your core. So that's where the performance comes mm-hmm. in. And that's where I see that they should be at three months. So three months to six months is all, you know, general strength training now, because you're not going to do squats in the PT. I mean, you're going to do them, hold the dumbbell or whatever, but I mean, you need to get, do some back squats, some front squats, some that kind of stuff, step up with some weight. So keep everything linear and keep everything, when you want to go horizontal or change your direction, you're only moving this far out of your center of bat or center of base of support. And then get back to what we talked about earlier, have them understand the athletic position because that's where every movement is initiated from. So get them down low, like hockey players on a stride, we usually got to get to be 90, 95 degrees of knee flexion. All right. Then you take that and you do that for four weeks, kind of implement that. You can start doing plyos, but even again, your plyos aren't jumping in even on a six inch box. It's like, okay, how'd you feel on that load? Make sure the mechanics are right. Because if you don't check the mechanics of the explosive movement at three months to four months, how are you ever going to progress them? You know, and they might look at you and go like, hey, this isn't hard enough for me. It's like, well, let me tell you one thing. If you make it harder and you have a setback, you just lost a month. I'd rather watch you progress and keep you progressing instead of having to take a step backwards. Because when you take one step backwards, you want to be back in nine months, which I'm totally against. I always tell everybody 12 months, but it all depends on how you do in the first six. So every time you have a step back, you know, you want to go nine months, you're going to have to go 10 months before you get back in. You know, you have another step back. I mean, it's it's amazing now that I'm out of pro sports to watch what comes in that I see. You know, I had a girl 18 months out. She could barely get her quad to activate. I mean, you could see it, but not enough to perform. So she's 18 months. Her mom's like, she's good. She can play, blah, blah, blah. I saw her like four times. I said, okay, this is what you have to look for. This is what you have to feel. She went to New Jersey, played two games, no, called me up. No. I said, okay, now you're ready to listen. Get your butt back in therapy with this therapist that I know who's all mechanical orientated. She did great. She was there for another, I think, two months. 
and now she now she can function but more importantly her head is back onto her shoulders now and now she's like oh okay instead of going through that 18 months and going like am I ever going to get better la, 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 you know so it, it's interesting what I see coming in but to answer your question therapy is for therapy can you eat can you go to the bathroom can you walk up the stairs can you get on the bus can you you know you're off your crutches let's get them into the right performance person and and, and do the ACL program and that program should be, probably be 16 months or uh, 16 weeks, which is gets you where? S- seven months. Seven months will get you into your skills guide now to start over, which will get you to nine months. Hmm. Okay. And then maybe, you know, depending on how you feel, but the psychological aspect has to be worked in that also. I had a girl that was, uh, she was 11 months out. I had her all summer. I said, you're not going to play a game in the beginning of August. Do not play. Okay. You need to get back with your team down at, you know, in your college, start working through the skills, you know, and then give yourself to like right now, September. She says, Oh, I'm going to go play. I said, okay, I'm going to tell you, you know, you might not have, you're not going to tear your ACL or whatever, but she played 10 minutes. What do you think she did the following week? She didn't tear her ACL, but she called me up and she goes, my knee is so sore. I said, okay, so what'd you do on Thursday after you played 10 minutes a week ago? She goes, I played 50 minutes. I said, okay, so remember what I told you when I saw you. Don't play till after Labor Day. What do you think she's doing now? Now she took two weeks off, tried to integrate it a little bit, and she just scored her first goal last week or this week. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's amazing. It's not amazing. It's frustrating to see some of this stuff coming in, you know? And I, 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 you know, I have, I'm just brutally honest, you know, based on my experience, I always say based on my experience, I've been doing it a long time. This is what you need to do. This, if you were my kid, this is what I would have you do. With with your master's in sports psychology, is there a specific area that intrigues you the most in, in that arena? Well, what do you mean? You know, in sports psychology, yeah, you know, helping people, uh, or, you know, helping, you know, motivate someone or inspire someone, or is it just getting them, you know, through the injury phase, or is there an area of peak, peak no, yeah, and peak performance? You know, they, would they come to you without an injury and say, Hey, uh, I'm having some challenges, you know, with, uh, this, the, no. you know, the loss that we took last month, you know, that kind of thing. I will take care of yeah. all of that. The injuries, the, the sports psychology aspect. I mean, I am so, so interested in how people are that I built these manuals based off personalities. That's great. So my, the thing, if I'm having a psychology session, or let's call it a mental right, performance right, right. session <laughs> yeah. with somebody, you know, the key is for having them understand themselves. Mm. So I ask them simple questions. I mean, I don't give them the full assessment because it, you know, it's a biggest, it's 70 questions when I built this thing off of the, uh, this assessment, but you can get what you need off a person. It's like, Hey, do you like being around the crowd or you like being by yourself? I mean, if somebody, you know, are you going to go shopping with your friends or would you rather, you know, you ask those simple little questions to give, it's not exact, but it gives you an ideal. So this is the type of person you are. You're an extrovert who likes processes 
who's a thinker and needs a schedule. So when your schedule's thrown off, you're stressed out, okay? When you don't understand the process of a coach maybe communicating with you and says, I want you to do this, 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 you get, your thinking goes into hyperspeed and you get frustrated, okay? So that's how you are. You know, if you're an introvert and the coach says, show me this skill and you're like, uh, it's like, uh, I don't know, you know? You, but if they can understand themselves, again, they can start building building pillars of how they think and how they create the external aspect of things. Because as we as we evolve, as I evolve through the whole thing, there's really there's really the cognitive aspect of it is based on what people see you do, right? But the real in depth aspect of this is how you communicate. You know, like. Like communication is the door that opens everything to 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 get what you want to get you to your goals, you know. And there's four variants of it, you know. There's as far as getting your goal, you could be a, 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 a statistician type of person or a logistics person, you know, and evolve that and understand where you want to be. Listen, so many people don't take that into consideration. It's just like, why do you have anxiety? You're like the number one person on the team. It's like, I don't know. That's why I'm here. You're supposed to tell me that. <laughs> like, just go. I had a goalie and he went to see another psychologist. And I, I knew just by talking to him, he had sports anxiety. You know, he was brought from a different state and he then got cut in three months into it. And he, he was like, ah, oh, big deal, whatever. It's like, but he couldn't stop a puck to save his soul. And the, so I said, okay, so what's this psychology guy telling you? He said, just follow the puck. I said, that's the thing you're afraid of. I mean, you're a goalie. You're, how do you just follow the puck? Are you trying to override that? Or maybe we should throw a big puck at you so you get used to it. You know, like, like they always say, you know, to overcome your fear. You got to integrate little things to it, you know? Uh, you know, I listened to this psychologist. He's like, if you want to get on an elevator and you're afraid of it, you're not just going to go get on the elevator, you know? But how do I get over it? Hey, how about we go stand in the hallway down from the elevator and watch it? Then get closer. You know, I got to slowly integrate yourself into your fear. You can't just tell like 14, 15-year-old kid who's a goalie, just, just follow the puck. Just stop the puck. Just look at the puck. It's like, no. So, I mean, so what I do is I kind of give them, like you asked what, what my interest is. My interest is the personality and helping these kids understand who they are. So then, then they can decide the direction they want to take. You know, if you're a thinker, you're just because somebody hurts himself and you're on the bench going like, wow, how did that happen? Like, why is he crying? <laughs> he's crying because he's a feeler, yeah. you know? Thinking, feeling, those are the two, op those are the opposites of each other. But it doesn't, if, if you understand like, oh, I'm a thinker and he's a feeler. Now I got to show some, some compassion or empathy towards him. It's like, hey, listen, you're going to be okay. And then you can start expressing like, I saw what happened, you know, whatever it is you want to get out of yourself through your thinking process. And that's how you extrapolate. The information you take in on a sensing or an intuition type of thing, right? I think it's, I, it, does that answer it, the yeah. question? Or I mean, it, it, it's just in, it, it fascinates me to understand. Oh, I I, I always felt that if sports psychology was 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 actually a thing back forty years ago, before I chose chiropractic, I would have 
definitely done sports psychology because it's the mind is so fascinating and so powerful and yet so also so disempowering at the same time. So, well, let's look at it this way, Doc. I mean, it's just yeah. there. It doesn't do anything you don't tell mm-hmm. it to do. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like it thinks for mm-hmm. itself. You know, I, I go back, and the reason I got into it, I was going to get into it mm-hmm. a long time ago when I first started going to college, but then I, whatever, I got into this stuff or whatever it was. But I remember I was like a, a superstar mm-hmm. in baseball, like all the way through from T-ball all the way to Little League. Like I was the home run guy. It was everything. And then I got up to the, you know, the 16-year-olds, mm-hmm. and it was like they were throwing curveballs. <laughs> Now, now, now today they yeah. do that at 12, you know, back then they didn't, I was like, what is going on? Like this thing's going to hit me. And I got so fearful of it that I, I quit, Oh no kidding! you know, and I, I couldn't stop a ball to save my life. I wanted to be in the outfield. So I would hopefully got nothing hit to me, you know, and like I was good. Like, you know, I say good on 12, 15 years old. I mean, I thought I was good. Everybody thought I was on the, the all-star team every year. But then I got to the higher levels. I was like, what is going, like, what, what happened here? Like, and you, then you start doubting and you start going through that whole process, you know? And so I always look back at that. And that's why one of the, I mean, other than the other situation you may know, but it was always interesting to me to kind of understand how people express themselves or get fearful of something that they know they're good at. There was a, it is it is truly fascinating and you you could take a you could take a a high level athlete i, I remember working on Cole Hamels from the, the the pitcher he was at it is at his prime with the Philadelphia Phillies and i was working on his shoulder and i had to ask him i go hey man let me you're just such a cool guy what happens what do you think when you're it's the bottom of the ninth you, you you got your 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 team is you're pitching it's uh you know two strikes and three balls and the next pitch you know bases are loaded you guys are ahead by one point that next pitch means everything to you i go what are you thinking and without i mean it was look i get goosebumps thinking about the his expression was so empowering it before the words came out of his mouth, he goes, oh, I got this. I go, what, just like that? And he goes, Doc, think about it. The, and, it's, and it's all perspective. He goes, the odds are in my favor. The best batter is, is still could be batting a 300. The odds are still in my favor that I'm going to strike this guy out. But yet, that's his perspective. But there are other guys that think that next pitch could mean everything. That could ruin his life. That could, you know, be a loss of a contract or anything, right? Me. Yeah, that. I mean, not at that level, but that was me when I got to the next level. So I'm watching this movie, and you guys, you guys have seen it. And you're talking about perspective, and the movie's Hoosiers, right? Okay, so when they go to Butler Arena, you know, Butler University to play the state champion in 1951. What's the first thing that Gene Hackman does? It, it stuck out because I just watched it last night. I was just bored. I wanted to find something to do. He measures from the, the baseline to the top of the key. I remember that. And he measures from the floor to the hoop. And he says, it's the same size back in our gym, boys. <sighs> yep. What? You know, it, it's perspective. You know, and then we walk in there and we go like, oh, my gosh, like, 
I got to hit this ball or we're going to lose. Or where'd all these fans come from? <laughs> you know, and we start thinking these things in the actuality. It's just like, it's all the same that you, you, you just didn't build your routine. I had a, I had a girl a couple of weeks ago. She was going to Boston to play hockey. She's 16 years old. It's like, you have to design a routine when you're away from your comfort zone of your own arena or whatever it is, or your practice facility. It's like, that's what you need. This, this is the third time I talked to her. She's nervous about going there and the scouts. It's like, nothing's changed. Somebody just told you there's going to be scouts. There, there might be scouts at your practice or your home games. No one's ever told you that. But in order for your body to feel comfortable, you have to have a routine. So your, bo- your body doesn't know where it's at. It only does what you tell it to do. If I'm going to Boston and there's a bunch of scouts and there's 3,000 more people than normal and blah, 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 you're making these excuses, then your body will go to where you tell it to go in the sense of, I'm afraid. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. This is too big of an arena. It doesn't know. It does not know. So in order to make your body comfortable, figure out what your routine is. Get in the car, listen to your music, da-da-da-da, get to the game or the, the stadium arena, do what you... When you're away, you have to have that same routine that you have when you're home. And your body will be comfortable and you'll be like, oh, okay. And then you have to think like, there's no difference. It's a sheet of ice. It's not even a sheet of ice. It's frozen water, you know, in a building. That's all it is. You do good at practice. Yeah, but there's no pressure. There's no pressure either. The pressure is only what you make of it. Well, there's scouts here. Yeah, because someone told you there's going to be scouts there. But what is the one thing that you want to do in front of the scouts? Mm-hmm. I want to perform. Well, this is a great opportunity for you to show them your stuff. And what's your stuff? Well, I want to go to this college. There's your driving force, we call it. Why do you want to go to that college? Because it's the number one. There's your reason. Now, how do you think you're going to get to that college? Because it's number one. You have to have your action plan. So one of your action plans is, to perform the best I can in front of the scouts. It doesn't matter where you're at. There you go. That's how you have to start thinking about it. You know, you almost answered what I was going to ask you, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Um, and that is in professional sports, which you've done a lot with, you know, the, the pressure to get back on the field, ice, whatever, is a lot of times it's a financial thing for the team and to get their players back, and, and, and that's where the pressure is. But now we're starting to see in the youth sports and high school the same pressure with this introduction of the NIL. And so how do you balance the need for speed of getting them back on the field as poss- possible with the pressures of coaches and parents for this NIL money and – they're not the maturity level of the pro athlete. They're younger, but they're stand, almost handling the same pressures as the pros on these financial stuff now. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, the thing is with those parents and the pressure of the NIL, the aspect is like, you're not going to go anywhere if you come back too early. Well, I got to get back for whatever, next week's game. Okay, so what's your process? You had a hamstring, you had a hip flexure, you know, you're nine months out of an ACL. What is the risk compared to the reward? They're not going to decide on you because you missed this weekend's game. Most of these scouts already understand that female athletes that have an ACL and can't perform when I'm there to give them a a number, 
you know, to get them to school, that is part of the process. Parents don't know that because all they think about is like, oh, we got to get her on the field because this is a big tournament. What happened to the other 14 years she was playing? You know, it's like your risk of her doing this could jeopardize another year for her to get to where she wants to go. Okay. Well, she's good. She needs to get this scholarship. Listen, if I'm a scout and I think this is how scouts think, I'm watching you since you were mm. 11, 11th grade, <clears throat> 10th grade. I know how you perform. Now, there's a difference. It's like, okay, she's injured this year. She's injured this year. She's injured this year. Maybe I'm not going to take a chance on her now. But why is she injured all the time? Did she come back too early? Was she not mentally strong, resilient enough? Did somebody push her and then she had the stress of, you know, trying to get to where you're at right now? Like, she's got to play. She's got to play. She's, I mean, she's going to college. She's 17 years old. They already pretty much know who they're going to take. Unless some superstar comes out of the woodwork, mm-hmm. you know. But if you're, a, if you're a smaller school anyways, and you're not, you know, University of Miami, University mm-hmm. of Michigan, nothing's going to change. So I think the one thing is you have to educate the parents on what the injury is, what could happen if she wages that risk and reward aspect of it, and how much is she going to lose by missing one more week to be ready for the state finals. I'll give you a story. I had a girl. uh, She's 17. She just came back a year ago from an ankle surgery, and she was in the districts and tore her ankle. Same ankle, but, you know, just a basic ankle sprain at this time. Comes to see me, and I'm not doing her rehab or anything, but she wants to know what she should do. And that's the exact same thing I saw. I told her. It's like, okay, so you're limping in, first of all, and your game, your regionals is in seven days. Yeah, but they need me. I'm the best player, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah, I understand that. But how much, one, are you going to perform out there with the injury you have? Okay. Two, let's say you we tape the heck out of you and you get through it, and now you you got to progress or, or push it back to recovery another 10 days. And what happens after regionals is states, right? So let's say now you can't play in states, okay? So do you want to take the, the risk of playing in regionals and maybe not playing in states? Do you want to take the risk of really aggravating this thing so you need another surgery? But they need me. They need me. Okay, I get it. I understand they need you. But you need yourself more than they need you. So what should you do? And she already, most people know the answers already, right. you know? Well, I should probably wait. I said, okay, so you're going to wait. And guess what happened? They lost one to nothing. She got another two months to recover to go to college, which was fine because she was going to college anyways. (laughs) You know, so you got to give them an an opportunity to, one, think Mm -hmm. for themselves, you know, and say, okay, what are you risking and what's Mm -hmm. the reward? Okay, so let's say you go in there and you win, okay? But now you can't play in states. Let's say you go in there and nothing happens. That's one thing. But there's five things that could happen. So you win. You can't go to states because it's sore. Well, it's fine. I'm good. Everything's good. Well, you know the injury's enough. You can say, yeah, this is not going to be a good situation. So now you can't play in states. What What's going to happen? No matter what you do in those two weeks or whatever, three weeks, what's going to happen three months from now? You're still going to go to college. You're still going to play in college. You're a great high school player. Save it for the next cycle. Save it for the next level. 
Okay. Yeah, but we almost won last year. It's like, I get it, but you didn't. It's over with. That's done. Do you want to suffer through the whole summer of doing rehab and not be ready for where you want to be when you go to college? No. Okay, so what's the answer? I'm not going to play. It gives me seven more days. Maybe I'm better. We make it to States. I can play in States. There you go. That's what you should do. Uh, I mean, does that answer? Yeah. Question, Terry? Or you yeah. Like, yep, that was perfect. It's interesting to watch. Yeah. It's interesting to watch how this stuff all evolves. I think but, some. But, but we as parents kind of hold back because we want our kid to be successful. And it's like, slow yeah. down, parents. Big one. You know, slow down, coaches. And I think sometimes the athlete knows the answer. They just want to get reaffirmed mm-hmm. from somebody yeah. else yes. other than them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but why do they want to get reaffirmed? Because they got pressures from everybody else, and they have yes. to have somebody stand in their corner. Yeah. Yes, Dick. Yes, but you don't really need someone standing in your corner if you're really self. If you're really sure of what you where you are, where, what's going on in your world, and what's going on in your life. Fair enough. It's like, no, I'm not going to play coach. Sorry. What? It's like my ankles, and I'm. You know, yeah. There's going to be athletes that are going to whatever call it mm-hmm. wimped out or whatever. Have their mm-hmm. fears of playing against you know the best player in the state which we can work mm-hmm. through that if there's no injury, but you have a legitimate mm-hmm. injury. You don't have a broken mm-hmm. toenail, you know? And you, I, I think you're right, Doc, Terry. It's, it's, it's like these athletes are looking for uh, support or affirmation, I guess, of even what their thought is, right? It's like, you're going to be okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so amazing if you mentally just tell an athlete, like, listen, I got you. You're going to be okay. Because then they can just let the steam out and really focus on getting better. Dave, we're, I'm going to ask a couple quick questions that I'm curious about before we wrap it up. And I wanted to ask you about uh, ankle braces for prevention. Uh, how do you feel about that? You know, in other words, in other words, what we see in football is they're always taping the ankles. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to lead you into this conversation. I want you to tell me what you think about. Tape and ankles and ankle braces. I, I, I don't, I don't know enough of the research based on ankle prophylactic support compared to doing muscular stability mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, injuries are going to happen. You know, there's not, there's no way you're going to avoid it. I mean, how many ankle sprains do you have when you tape mm-hmm. your ankle? You know, how many ACLs do you have when you have knees uh, mm-hmm. braces on? You know, I mean, it's it's. Now, ACL embraces are studies out there that I've seen that, you know, they don't prevent anything more than than what a non-ace, non-brace ACL or, you know, mm-hmm. knee would do. Uh, I mean, how many MCLs in football mm-hmm. do you see, Doc? I mean, it's and they all have those, you know, those medial lateral mm-hmm. support braces yeah. on, right? I think that stuff's going to happen. I think if I'm, I mean, you're not going to change mm-hmm. that, you know, in, in the NBA, you're going to get mm-hmm. your ankle taped, you know? In football, you're going to get those those stirrups on mm-hmm. or whatever they, just, yeah. whatever they call them. You know, it, that's just going to happen. But that doesn't bother me one bit. The biggest thing that I would focus on is more the mm-hmm. proprioception, understandable, mm-hmm. stiff, Love that. stiff yeah. spine. So when you get into those vulnerable mm-hmm. positions, you hope that you have enough neurological input for stability and reaction back to I normalcy don't. that it happens automatically. Is it going to prevent 100% injuries? No. Will it lessen the severity of an injury? I think so. So prophylactic mm-hmm. kind of bracing, I think it's all based on what the individual wants. 
Dave, you're a great triage guy. That's why you were a head athletic trainer in, in multiple areas. Um, this is for the, this is for the listeners out and viewers out there. How did you, how did you navigate the world of chiropractic and decide to use one? Uh, you know, we, no pressure, but there are chiropractors listening to this, so you better answer right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, there, there's two of us. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we need, right? There's two against one. That's Why right. Why am I going to answer this? Oh, they're great. You know, I, I, I'd give them a scalpel if I could. <laughs> hey, listen, I do a little chiropractic on the side myself. Yeah, of course you know. We, yeah, yeah. mobile. Hey, that's how I got licensed. I, I think... took YouTube. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, cost a yeah. lot less, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think. This, this is an interesting thing because, you know, as I think I want to create the whole body and be understand the whole thing and, you know, maybe I'm creating my own little specialty niche later down the road, but there's, we're all specialized in our profession mm-hmm. though. You know, I mean, it, it, chiropractors are very uh, needed individuals for sports, athletics, now, do I believe in, you know, cracking a seven-year-old or something <laughs> like that or, you know, manipulating that? No, but for mm-hmm. athletics, I mean, look at the body's not a, a, a steel mm-hmm. plank, yeah. you know. It's got mobility issues. It's got things pulling on it the wrong way. So alignment issues are, are in my mind, is one of the most important things as a foundation. And I know I always go to that mm-hmm. foundation aspect of it, but it's one of the most important things for Building that that foundation, again, to have those pillars, whether it's skills training, whether it's physical training or performance, to function and set the neurological system up the right way to be to be the most efficient unit mm-hmm. as a unit to perform at your best in whatever it is you're, you're doing. You know? that, so my, my answer to your question, they're 100 percent needed. They're 100%, 1,000% needed, especially with pro sports. I mean, as kids, you're not you're not getting the crap beat out of you as much as the pros are because they're doing it seven days a week, you know, 365 days a year. But who knows? Maybe some of these kids are. But it's, it's, it's a necessity in my realm to have that as an adjunct as part of the sports medicine team. So one hundred percent. Yes, it's a it's a needed needed profession for athletics. We'll we'll, we'll pay you for that testimonial later. Shh. But <laughs> they, thanks, Dave. That was great. My 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 Venmo account is. <laughs> I want to wrap it up. I do say I do say PayPal. <laughs> I want to wrap it up with some something real funny that I don't know if you remember, Dave. Um, you know, when, when you brought me on to work with you at the Panthers, there was a moment there that I will never forget that I still tell the story to this day where, uh, where the guy, <laughs> where the guy, there's this big, like, I don't know, Russian, Czechoslovakia, I don't know, this big hockey guy walks up. You are talking to me. You're like, look, you're totally engaged in this conversation with me. You, I watch this guy walk up. He takes his shirt pulls it up over his head, pulls his pants halfway down his butt cheeks, and you are darning these rubber gloves. And I'm going, 
oh shit, is he going to do a prostate exam right in front of me like that? What's going on here? <laughs> and you end up, you reach over, you get the the strongest atomic bomb by Kramer Jizek. And you, and you don't even, take, it's not a fit. You take a whole scoop and you start slathering this layer on his back. Terry, I, I couldn't, from that moment on, I couldn't hear another word that David was saying to me because he did not break conversation. <laughs> He's slathering it like it's a routine. The guy... Pulls his shirt back, pulls his pants back up, and walk and go and grunts to Dave and walks away. And I go, Dave, does he realize that he's gonna sweat and that is gonna drip down to his butthole and burn? And he goes, without without breaking a, a moment in time, he goes. Dave goes, oh yeah, he says that makes him uh, skate faster. I go, are you? <laughs> I'll never forget. Make me skate faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd want to get away from what was right. burning my butt. Dave, Hell yeah. Actually, I just, I just, I just did that because I had a stuffy nose and I wanted to smell the methane. Like <laughs> you know, I don't even oh, but skate. Prime example. <laughs> I could breathe a lot easier. After. Yeah. But there's, there's a prime example of taking care and giving the athlete what he needs <sighs> to perform. Whether it's, I mean, it's not like you're, you know, telling the squat 500 pounds and taking a risk of injury. This is a very superficial and it makes yeah. him feel better than, than not having it. So it's like, yeah, let's go. Here you go. Hey, doc, how you doing? Okay. Give him a little tap and send him on his way. <laughs> you know, that's what he needed. That's what he's going to oh, get. Until he tells that me different. Great. And then he comes in, he'll probably come in and say, you know, that stuff leaked into but my all. butt. I was burning like crazy. It's like, yeah, I told you that. <laughs> Love it. Dave, thanks so much for being on. It was a, a ton of information. I appreciate you. Well, I really do appreciate you guys letting me uh, be involved with it and uh, being part of it and just ex- just trying to help whoever we can help. You listening, bet, man. You know? Thanks, Dave. All right, though, be- before we end, you have to tell – the audience about this little venture you got coming up, especially with the thing on your shirt. Talk to, oh, talk to us a little bit about exercise well, innovation. Well, exercise innovation is a company that I'm evolving to kind of do what you guys are doing. Just have access for, for parents to have access to get information through any sports medicine uh, profession that they need. You know, surgeries, non-surgical, physical therapists, sports performance trainers, mental performance. I'm trying to build this unit as a, for lack of a better way, one-stop shop for sports mm-hmm. medicine needs, you know. So the, 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 there's a system I'm putting in place for a referral system, and I want to build it throughout the United States. So it's going to take me a little bit of time. But the fact is, is that if I start it now – People are going to be able to go to Exercise Innovation and get what they need for their athletic uh, information to whatever needs it is, whether it's chiropractic care and, and click on a referral button to get one in, you know, South Florida or California or the guy you had on a couple of days ago in mm-hmm. Vegas. So it's a referral system for all these parents or athletes in general to get the right care. Mm-hmm that they, what I feel would be vetting the right care for them to, to get mm. what they need. Beautiful. So, and then we're going to team up with a place in or a company in California that's actually building a, for lack of a better way to put it, an Instagram site 
they haven't given me the name yet, but it's going to be a site where everybody can go to get, and it's just for athletes. It's like Mrs. Jones, who, you know, is a house cleaning lady. She's not going to have interest in it, but all these athletes are going to have interest in it to go to this site to get everything that they need through this company that I'm teaming up with. For, and they're just doing a podcast and the uh, the information aspect of it. I'm going to do more of the, the referral aspect of it. That's great. Well, dude. we're going to have to. It's, I think it's going to be a good venture. Oh, I, I was very excited. And uh, we're going to have to get involved. Our little podcast here is going to have to get involved with that. So with all the information we got, we'll have to, we'll have to collaborate. Well, you guys are involved. Because I just emailed them a couple of days ago. And they're, oh, you guys are great, on board. Dave. There you go. They're, they're looking at the the feed that you have and see how to, you know, mm. put it in their system and stuff. So, so you guys are going to be, it's, it's going to be, and these are the same guys that had the influence on, uh, and I always mess this name up, the, the, the mind masters or mastermind, mm. um, where you could go and get information on any, like Wayne Gretzky's oh, yeah, part yeah, of yeah. it. Oh Serena yes. Wayne master class. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, master class. Master yeah. class. Yeah. Yes. Master class. Yeah. Perfect. So they help design and develop masterclass. So they're kind of doing the same thing just for the athletes to get the information. Huge, man. Well, on that note, knowing that Chiropractic, Crack and Backs podcast is going to be part of of that and hot stuff ran down a a man's butthole, I think we'll finish on those notes. That would make me look knowing that story again. It makes me want to run out of here fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Dave. I, oh, I could listen to you for hours. Yeah. Thank you so much for stuff. your your uh, your 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 thoughts and your your yeah. wisdom. I can't wait to to talk more with you and to collaborate with you and all the stuff. I'm very blessed to get to know you. Thank you so much for being part of our family here and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Cracking Backs podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Catch new episodes every Monday. See you next time.